Hello everybody, hello friends, this is your host Kaylin Keeper and you are listening to Castle in the Air podcast. I hope you are doing beautifully today, I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm very excited for this episode. Um, it was an interesting process though because a little after publishing the last episode for a while I was facing kind of like a block, like you know how writers get writer's block, but I was facing like podcaster's block and I was just facing this like wall about what to talk about next or like how to get started with my next episode and for me like the hard part isn't like writing the episode or recording the episode it's really just like brainstorming the episode and deciding what topic I want to talk about and then like how I want to go about talking about it so I was hitting this wall really of just like what to talk about um I had like ideas but I couldn't decide and It had been about a week and a half since I had, like, published the last episode, and I was laying in bed one night, and I was having trouble falling asleep, I was thinking about the podcast, and something just told me, do a lighthearted episode. And I was like, okay, yes, like, should have thought of that sooner, but I realized, like, something that was kind of holding me back was, like, I think the first episodes that I've done up until this point have been about some like pretty significant topics not necessarily like deep but I think all of them have had a little bit of weight and I realized that like not every episode has to be like that and like we can throw in some fun and some like lighthearted stuff as well and so that's what I decided to do for this episode um it's meant to be a little bit fun and just like reminding myself that I don't have to like take it super seriously all the time and like I really am doing this for fun if that makes sense like I want it to be fun, I don't want it to feel like a chore, and so I'm shaking it up for today, and I decided to do a lighthearted episode, and so I was brainstorming around that, and one of the first things that came to my mind was books, because, like, everyone who knows me knows that I love to read, and um, I've kind of just always been that way, and some people even, like, asked me to do an episode about books a while back, and then I kind of just forgot, but I landed on it, I'm really excited, and so... For this episode, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about four books that have either shaped me or left an imprint on my life. I think, like, change my life might be, like, a little bit dramatic, but also not. But I would say, like, definitely left an imprint on my life. And so, um, there's just something about these books that have either just taken me into a different frame of mind or, um, just, like, had a lasting effect on me. And, um, I would say overall somehow impacted the way I live, the way I think, etc, etc. And so, um, without further ado, here are the four books that have left a lasting impression on me and shaped me as a human being in some way. So, number one is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Um, disclaimer, I don't think there's any, like, horrible spoilers in this episode, but, um, I am going to talk about, like, plot and a little bit of characters and the development, but I'll try not to spoil any, like, major endings or anything like that. So, um, number one is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. It was published in 1960, but it was set in the 1930s in Alabama. So, the first time I read To Kill a Mockingbird was in seventh grade English class, and it changed my life then, and every time I reread it now, it just, like, leaves a little bit more of an impact on me. It's just, like, been an extremely captivating captivating book since the first time I read it. So, the narrator is Jean Louise Finch, also known as Scout, and, like, she goes by Scout. 
and she's six years old at the beginning of the book but it takes place over like two years so I think she ends the book at like eight but um she's six years old and she lives with her brother Jeremy aka Jem and then their father Atticus and their mother passed away when they were little and then they also have a cook who is African-American which is like significant to the plot because it was 1930s Alabama but their cook is named Calpurnia and she's like also kind of a part of their family and like has somewhat of a mother role as well so I think just before even getting into the plot like one of the main things that strikes me so much about this book is Scout because well one she's just a ridiculously incredible character on her own but then two I think a lot of her characteristics remind me a lot of childhood me and so the thing about Scout is she's very there's so many words to describe her but the one that like stuck out to me the first time I read it was like her tomboyishness because whenever I was little specifically like I would say elementary school and then like kind of going into middle school I was very very tomboyish and like Really, the only sports I did competitively growing up were basketball and football, um, which, like, I think says enough in and of itself. But, like, I never, I just remember, like, always wearing, like, basketball clothes and just always, like, wanting to play sports and stuff. Like, I was just very, very tomboyish as a child. Um, and, like, Scout was very much that way, too, in the book. Like, there's several parts of the book that mention where she only wants to wear overalls and like she doesn't want to wear a dress because like that's not how she feels comfortable and that's very much how I was um so yeah she's a bit of a tomboy um she's a bit rash I would say but also she's six so like we let it slide but she's incredibly loyal she has the ability to think for herself she's very considerate of how other people feel um she's really really intelligent for her age but, like, the thing I love most about Scout, I think, is that she's just, like, plain good. Like, in every sense of the word, she just has good intentions, she's super pure, and, like, she just wants good for, like, the world and the people around her. And, like, she thinks for herself, because this is 1930s Alabama, and, like, there is a lot of, I'd say, like, corruption and just, like, social norms that were not good at the time. But even, like, at six years old, she has the ability to, like, think for herself and think beyond just what, like, her city in Alabama is telling her. And just, like, such an incredible character. And she's also really funny. Like, every now and then she'll say something that made me laugh out loud, and that doesn't happen often for me with books. So just, like, super well-rounded, hilarious, sweet, just incredible, incredible character. Like, probably one of my favorite book characters of all time. So, like I mentioned, this is set in 1930s Alabama, and, um, yeah, lots going on at the time. Um, it was, like, a super, like, and racism was, like, one of the main, um, conflicts in this book. Um, but just, like, a lot going on that was pretty corrupt in the city, um, and just, like, the people, a lot of the people were just pretty corrupt as well um so you have scout and jim growing up in the city but then they also have a friend named dill and he like comes to town for the summer and they just like hang out every single day they play outside get into a little bit of trouble as kids do um and then they have this neighbor named boo radley and like he's sort of like the town recluse like he never really comes out of his house like people don't see him but people like have made up all these rumors about him and so the kids are like super curious about him and they like hang out around his house and they try to like 
they try to like find him and see if they can like get into his house or like talk to him and stuff um and so they just have all these fun little like adventures and I think their dynamic like resonated a lot for me too um the first time I read it and now it has like a more nostalgic feel because growing up um I had like a really similar dynamic with my brother and one of our neighbors and so like my brother and I are about the same uh like age difference as Jim and Scout and then like we also had a neighbor who like during the summers we would just like play outside every single day all day at least that's how I remember it I just remember we would like play football and basketball and baseball and kickball and just like ride around the neighborhood on our bikes and our dynamic as children like reminds me so 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 much of like Jim Scout and Dill and so like reading it is just super nostalgic because I see us so much in those characters and like I don't know that just like hits home for me and just super sweet um like everything down to the core is just like the same and so like reading it is fun because I imagine us to be a lot like them so that's fun so meanwhile um Atticus their father he is a lawyer and he's appointed to defend this guy named Tom Robinson, who was um, a young African-American, which obviously is important for, like, the social context. Um, and he was accused of, like, raping this white young lady. And so, um, because it's 1930s Alabama, like, the whole town is against Tom Robinson in this case. And therefore, they're also against Atticus, since Atticus was chosen to defend him. Um, and even, like, Scout and Jim are getting made fun of at school, and, like, people are being mean to them at school because their father is, like, defending an African-American man in court. So, I think, like, Scout even gets into, like, a physical fistfight with the kid at school because they're making fun of her, but just, like, not a good situation. Um, and so, like, the trial comes around, and I won't actually, like, say how it ends because I don't want to spoil it, but the thing that just is so incredible to me is, like, watching this whole thing through the eyes of a six-year-old because Scout's the narrator, and so... Um, like, even the kids, like, sneak into the courthouse against Atticus's instruction, and they, like, watch the trial and stuff, and so she's, like, saying all the events and the details of the trial, and just, like, we're hearing her thoughts and stuff as it goes on, um, and it's just, like, so interesting to see it through the eyes of a six-year-old, because she's six, but she has to think about topics like justice and kindness and equality, and it's just, like, really beautiful, and again, like, really funny, too, just to listen through the brain of a six-year-old. Um, and I think, like, Atticus, too, I would say is one of my favorite book characters of all time because he is just so pure. And also, he's a really, like, good father to his kids and stuff. Um, but, like, has a really, really, really strong moral compass, even though it goes against some of the, like, social norms at the time. But, like, he has a really strong sense of right and wrong, and then he's not afraid to, like, talk about it and defend it and, like, talk to his kids about it, which is super cool. Um, but yeah, both, like, him and Scout are just incredible characters, super just and super pure, and so I love them. And overall, like, again, I'm not going to talk about the ending of this book, but, oh, just, like, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I remember, like, my copy of this book being super duper annotated and tons of, like, highlighted passages and quotes and stuff, which, like, to me is how I know I really enjoyed a book, is, like, how much did I annotate it? And so... One of my favorite quotes from the book, it's the quote that the title comes from, and it's about the topic of innocence, and so it says, um, Mockingbirds don't do one thing but make music for us to enjoy, but sing their hearts out for us. That's why it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. 
and so I mean if you like can't figure it out on your own it's like talking about how mockingbirds are like innocent and they just like sing and like make music for people to enjoy and so it's a sin to kill a mockingbird like because of their innocence and so it plays in a lot with like the trial and just like the themes of like innocence and guilt and like justice and all that stuff um but yeah tons of quotes were highlighted tons of stuff stuck out to me um so yeah since reading this book like for the first time like i said in seventh grade i've like returned to it and reread it so many times and i think the reason it impacted me so much is because the story is so unique because it's told through the eyes of a six-year-old but it's also like a pretty complex like plot and stuff and so i think it's just a really beautiful picture of just like pureness and justice and i just love it and i still think of scout every time i wear overalls like i kid you not um beautiful book i recommend it to anyone 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 so, that was number one. Going into number two, switching gears a lot, um, number two is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by John Mark Comer, and it was published in 2019, and it's also nonfiction. So, um, this was one of my more, like, recent reads. I've read, I read it within the past, like, couple months, but um, it's been impacting me a lot even since then, but, like, also the ideologies in the book have, like, played a really big role in my life for a while now and actually like one of the biggest um topics of the book is rest which obviously like that was the first podcast episode I did and so like that's really important to me so the author of this book John Mark Comer um he was the pastor of a mega church and they like held six services every Sunday and for those of you who like aren't familiar with church like that's a lot like the standard is like two maybe three sometimes even one but like six is crazy and so needless to say like homeboy was super busy and like so busy that like he never slowed down he never had time to rest and he was constantly on the go but after a while of like just living life like that he realized that like that's not how god intended us for and god intended for us to live and so the premise of this book is that like hurry in general is like the enemy of a rich spiritual life or even just like not from a spiritual standpoint like hurry is the enemy of just like a rich life of like intimacy and intentionality and so the idea i think like for those of you who have heard this quote it says if the devil can't make you sin he'll make you busy and so like from a spiritual standpoint this holds true because if we're busy, it's obviously, like, less time that we have to, like, nourish our soul and our spirit and, like, spend time with God. So needless to say, like, hurry and busyness are tools that the devil can use to, like, run us off course and get us distracted, get us tired, get us weary, and then just, like, crumble. Um, it's funny, one of the quotes that um, John Mark Comer used in this book is from Walden, which is another book that I'm going to talk about. But um, it's when the author of Walden, Henry David Thoreau, he went to the woods. And so it talks about he went to the woods to live deliberately um, and, like, really just reflect on life and um, not come to the end of his life, finding out that he really hadn't lived at all. And so, like, John Mark Comer used this quote, but he talks about how, like, in all our hurry, we miss the most important things and he doesn't want to come to the end of his life realizing that he was so wrapped up in hurry and he didn't even get to experience like real genuine intentional life um so he found himself super worn out started realizing that this was a problem and he implemented like all these different habits into his life um that would basically like force him to slow down 
check in with himself, check in with God, and simply just, like, rest from all of life's busyness. Um, and so, like, obviously one of those is a Sabbath, which I talked about in my first episode, so I won't, like, talk about it a lot. But, um, definitely a Sabbath. And sometimes he would even take, like, a full weekend away, like, every, I would say, like, I think he said, like, every couple months or, like, maybe once a year or something, like, taking a whole, like, weekend completely away just to, like, retreat, but definitely having, like, periodic times of complete retreat and, like, rest to slow down and check in was, like, a big one of his things. Um, Another thing that was really big for him that he talked about a lot is sometimes, like, um, intentionally taking the slow way to work or, like, only um, checking his email and social media at certain times during the day and, like, during the week. And even, like, on his Sabbath, he keeps his phone in a box and he just, like, doesn't touch it, which is super dope. So, yeah, some themes that he hits on a lot would be, like, silence was a big one, solitude, and simplicity. And, like, I have been passionate about all three of those things, I think, for a while. And, um, especially, like, simplicity, um, I think his point was, like, in life we get wrapped up in a lot of these, like, big things, whether it's, like, clothes or money, cars, like, all the different things, you know, um, like, we just get wrapped up in it, but a lot of times it can be a distraction, and also those are, like, only temporary things, too, and so, like, he started to really focus on that, and, like, um, whether or not things were, like, complicating his life, and then if they were necessary, and one of, like, the really, um, interesting things that really struck me about him is he was talking about his, like, clothes, and whenever he wanted to start like simplifying his life one of the first areas he went to was his closet which is like where everyone goes to start like simplifying their life and he narrowed his closet down to like seven outfits like one for each day of the week um and he was doing that for a while and then he was like no this is too much and he narrowed it down to two outfits like he only had two outfits in his closet and I was a little bit skeptical I'm not gonna lie but I went to his Instagram and he wears the same two outfits, like, I don't know, it's kind of dope, like, maybe it's not for everyone, like, maybe it's not for me, but, like, that's the extent he went to, um, to, like, really simplify his life, and so, like, I thought, I thought it was really cool, regardless of anything, and so, yeah, like, simplicity, um, silence, and solitude are just all really big things, just, like, clearing our brain, um, getting rid of distractions so that we can, like, really focus on, like, how our souls are doing, um, So, like I said, he, like, implemented some habits that he has in his everyday life that intentionally force him to slow down, or just, like, habits that he encourages, um, and so I think it's a list of, like, 15, and I'll, I actually am going to list them just to give you some ideas, and, like, I think about these a lot. So, number one, drive the speed limit. Number two, drive in the slow lane. Number three, come to a full stop at stop signs. Number four, don't text and drive. Y'all, please. Seriously, don't text and drive. Anyways. Number five, show up 10 minutes early to an appointment without your phone. Number six, get in the longest checkout line in the grocery store. That one was, like, crazy. Like, I don't know. When I read that, I'm like, who on earth would ever do that? But that's his whole point is, like, we all, like, at the grocery store, I feel like we always, like, literally scan all the lines to see which one is the shortest, when really it's, like, maybe a 60-second difference, and this list, like, just really 
pointed out to me how impatient we are as human beings or like the drive the speed limit thing like at least in Texas where I'm from people go like 10 over 15 20 over even it's shocking and it was just crazy to me and so it really made me think about like all the things we do in our everyday life to try to just do things quicker like the grocery store like from the grocery store line to like driving in the fast lane and traffic and like swerving around people like all those different things it was just very interesting to me anyway so that was number six number seven is turn your smartphone into a dumb phone which basically he was just explaining just like simplify like delete apps you don't need um like turn notifications off like all that different type of stuff which is really good um Number eight was get a flip phone, which, like, I don't think he actually has a flip phone, and it was, like, sort of sarcastic, but basically, like, if you can type thing, like, if your lifestyle permits that you could have a flip phone, or, like, if you think you could do that, like, go for it, like, more, that was, like, a even better yet get a flip phone type thing, but yeah. Um, and then number nine, put your phone to bed before you and make it sleep in. So, like, that's self-explanatory, but, like, putting your phone away, like, a while before you go to bed, and then after you waking up, like, spending time without your phone first thing. Um, number ten, keep your phone off in the morning until after time with God. So that kind of goes, like, hand in hand, but, yeah, basically just, like, spending time with God before you get on your phone. Number eleven, set times for email, which I think is really valuable and, like, Definitely would love for this to be a rhythm in my life. Um, he has, like, email notifications off and then, like, has set times throughout the day and throughout the week when he checks email and then besides that, like, won't go in email. And it's just, like, I mean, I think this is really hard for a lot of people or, like, nobody really even does this because we just want to see if we got any emails for work or school or, like, whatever it is. And so, like, I think not checking email would be, like, a stressor for some people, when in reality, like, it shouldn't be, but it is, um, so yeah, number 12, similar set of time and time limit for social media, so just, like, similar thing, obviously, but we all know how much, like, time social media takes away from us anyways, and that's something that I have tried to get better at, and I've deleted, like, quite a few social medias over the past few years, um, just because they were, like, taking up too much of my time, and I think this is really big, like, Right now, I'm down to, I have Instagram and Pinterest are, like, the social medias that I actually use. I deleted TikTok and Snapchat um, just because, like, I found that, one, they were taking up too much of my time, and two, they were, like, distracting me and, like, really didn't have that much value in my life. So, yeah. Um, 13, kill your TV. He, like, has this really funny story, but basically, like, they don't have a TV in their house anymore which is really interesting, um, and obviously, like, 99% of families probably have, like, TVs in their house, um, but yeah, if that's for you, have at it, um, and then number 14 is, like, single task instead of, like, multitask, um, that's also self-explanatory, and then number 15 is walk slower, which was a funny one for me because, like, for as long as I can remember, I've been a really fast walker because my mom is a fast walker. And so, like, in my, when I was a child, like, it was just, like, keep up with mom. And so, like, now I'm a really fast walker. And whenever I'm with people, I, like, walk really fast. And they're, like, slow down. But, like, he was saying how whenever you're walking, just, like, slow down. Like, notice things. Like, 
smile at people type thing. Um, and so, like, he goes on walks with his, like, wife sometimes, and, like, she used to get mad at him for walking too fast, and then he, like, started practicing walking slower, and now he gets mad at her for walking too fast, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, when you look at this list, depending on who you are, like, it seems like a really simple list, or it seems like an insane list, but, like, it just really made me think about all the things we do that either, like, distract us from what's really important, or, like, speed us up through things and like we never really take the time to like slow down and just breathe anyways um just food for thought like I don't always do all the things on those lists obviously like probably don't even do half but um I think and I think like his point in this book it was like intentionally a little bit overkill to get the point across but I loved it regardless Um, and I just think, like, all these ideas, like, in our culture now are so profound, which is crazy that, like, we've even gotten to that point, but it is what it is. Um, I love his ideas a lot, and, like, yes, some of them are, are, like, a little bit unrealistic, but whatever. Like, um, I love that the one thing he keeps in mind is that rest is not, like, a lazy, selfish excuse to not work, but it's, like, a command from God and just, like, literally a requirement human beings and like we're designed as humans to need and then benefit from rest and so he even highlights a lot how like in the bible jesus went away into the wilderness just to like pray and be alone um like away from people and just like spend time with god um and so that was like a really cool thing i started looking into as well as like really trying to take notice when i'm like reading the gospels of like when does jesus go to be alone um so that's interesting but yeah, um, overall, again, like, one of my more recent reads, but just the ideas in it are really, really rich, and, like, again, I talked about rest for my whole first episode, so it's, like, a topic that I hold near and dear to me, but, um, I definitely think this is a good book, regardless of, like, your spiritual life, um, just, like, the concept of rest in general, like, this book does a really good job at explaining it, giving some ideas, and then just, like, talking about the value, so super good one. I'm big into nonfiction, so, um, this was another one of my nonfiction favorites, but yeah. Okay, number three, going into another nonfiction. It had to come up at some point, but this is Walden by Henry David Thoreau, and the reason that it had to come up, if you listen to my first episode, you know that the book Walden is where I came up, or like where I got the idea for the title of this podcast, Castle in the Air. Um, So, Walden, the story of Walden is um, when the author, Henry David Thoreau, moved out to Walden Pond for two years in this little hut that was actually on some land owned by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was, like, another famous writer at the time. So he spent, like, two years there, Henry David Thoreau spent, like, two years there, um, for the most part, like, completely, like, secluded from society. And he wrote the book Walden in which he basically just, like, reflects on, like, almost every aspect of life from, like, the economy to reading to farming to animals to sounds and nature and just, like, everything in between. Um, And it's it's a little bit profound and I understand, like, why a lot of his uh, writing, like, wasn't popular at the time. But one of my favorite quotes from Walden says... There is a certain class of unbelievers who sometimes ask me such questions as, if I think that I can live on vegetable food alone, 
and to strike at the root of the matter at once, for the root is faith, I am accustomed to answer such, that I can live on board nails. If they cannot understand that, they cannot understand much that I have to say. And honestly, I'm not going to explain that quote because, like, I feel like the point is not explaining it. But it just goes to show, like, I think he was aware that he was pretty profound and, like, was aware that he was going to be rejected by a lot of people. But, yeah, so he went off for two years down to Walden. And so um, last October, I was in Massachusetts visiting some family and I was about, like, an hour drive from Walden Pond and thanks to my dear friend, Elle, I um, was made aware that you could actually like still go visit Walden Pond. And so I did. And then I also went back to Massachusetts in May, this past May, and I visited it again. And now it's just become like one of the most dear places to me. And it holds a really, really, really special place in my heart. And then, of course, just like getting my name of um the podcast from Walden also like obviously holds a special place in my heart but for those of you who don't know or like missed the first episode the quote from that is if you have built castles in the air your work need not be lost that is where they should be now put the foundations under them um and that basically is just saying like if you have high like dreams high goals high aspirations like all those different things that seem a little bit scary or unrealistic, like, don't be afraid because, like, that's how it should be, and then you just, like, do the work and take the action to, like, make those become a reality, and so, like, that's where I got the name for my podcast, so that's very, um, just very sweet to me, and, like, that was just one of the literal hundreds of quotes that I highlighted in this book because everything, like, even if I didn't always agree with everything he said, I either just thought it was hilarious or super profound or, like, I could at least give him credit for, like, just being somewhat intelligent, and, like, besides that, I did agree with a lot he said anyways, so it was a very enjoyable read. But the famous quote from Walden that um, sums up why Henry David Thoreau went to Walden in the first place, it says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. And so that's the quote that I mentioned to earlier in The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But um, Thoreau's whole thing is, like, really sucking the marrow out of life and, like, not being distracted by superficial things, but really, like, understanding what's important in life and then, like, focusing on it and, like, putting time and effort into it. Um, And so, like, his whole reasoning behind going to the woods is to, like, really dig deep into that. And so he writes this whole book while he's there, and it's just, like, it's just so incredible. It's ridiculously incredible. Um, But one of my favorite, like, overall themes of the book is the idea of simplification, which, again, I, like, talked about in The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But Thoreau talked a lot about how when he lived in the woods, he didn't have much, he didn't need much, and he didn't want much. He was faced with the very simple yet very important areas of life and just like being out at the pond sort of by himself he focused on like the little things in nature to like sunrises and animals like I remember he wrote like several pages about like the bugs that were living around his hut which was really interesting and just like really observing their life and he talked about how nearly all of modern humanity chases after money and possessions that are so unimportant like in the grand scheme of things and they're only, like, temporary on this earth, like I was talking about earlier, Um, and so, like, he really encouraged me to try to live more 
simply when I can and like focus less on possessions and more on like experiences and just like the world around me um one of the really cool analogies that I still think about a lot is like he talks about clothes for a while like clothing um and he like talks about how kings and queens like um have outfits like customized for them to wear just like one time and then never wear again but something that he gets joy out of is like wearing the same clothes over and over because each time they like shape a little bit more to your specific body and like they become a part of you and like that just represents so well like his whole ideology when it comes to like simplifying is like less is more really the fun part about being human is like sort of the mundane and like re-wearing the same clothes and stuff and like focusing on the animals that live outside your house like and it really just like help it's it's really helpful perspective for me to hold um and it keeps me really grounded as does just like a lot of stuff he talks about this talks about in this book um overall I think that's what Walden is the most to me is just like a reminder of perspective and it's a really good one because, like, obviously I have never spent two years alone at a lake fronting the essential facts of life, but, like, Henry David Thoreau has, and so, like, every opportunity I have to, like, learn what he learned from that, I will, because there's so much value in what he has to say when all that was around him was, like, water and trees and animals and he had food and he was just writing, and, like, it was just so valuable for me. And so I find myself returning to it a lot when I just need to, like, ground myself and really remember, like, what's important in life and, like, what I really need to be focusing on. So lots of love for Walden, and I hope to visit it again soon. And so last but not least, completely switching gears again, is number four, The Secret History by Donna Tartt, um, which was published in 19, uh, 1992, but I think it was set 1980s. Oh boy, where do I even begin? This book is literally such a doozy. Um, like, it's a lot. Like, it's packed with a lot. Um, it's basically the story of six friends and how they end up, like, killing one of them off. Um, which isn't a spoiler, by the way, because, like, in the first two pages of the book, it, like, says that they kill their friend and, like, whatever. So, there's, like, the original five friends who are Henry, Francis, Bunny, Charles, and Camilla, and Charles and Camilla are twins, um, and they're students at Hamden College, which is in Vermont, and it's not a real college, by the way, um, and they're, like, protégés, basically, of Julian, who's, like, their professor, and their only professor, and, like, they're Julian's only student, so it's this super, like, exclusive little thing they got going on, um, and the narrator, Richard, he, like, transfers to Hamden, and he wants to, like, continue his studies in Greek because he had, like, already studied Greek for a while, but the only Greek professor at the, um, university is Julian, who is, like, super adamant that he won't take any more students, like, so sorry, like, my class is closed type thing. Um, after some debate, like, Richard talks to some, like, admin at the school, talks to Julian a couple times, and so Julian ends up, like, taking Richard in as his sixth student. So they have, like, this little friend group. It's just, like, these six students and then Julian. And if nothing else, they're just, like, flat, interesting characters. Like, probably some of the most interesting book characters I've ever read in my life. Like, they each just have these really weird quirks, and they're just such well-written characters. Like, 
the plot the plot is really good but even if the plot wasn't good I would still want to read it just like for the characters um and so I won't say exactly like what goes down that like leads to the murder and stuff but basically like Bunny's character is notoriously just really like a nuisance to everyone and actually like super annoying um but also like one of those people that you kind of got to love but really annoying um and things start to like escalate or like de-escalate depending on how you look at it um and again this is not a spoiler but like his friends end up killing him and so the book like i said it's like two parts first is before the murder and the second is after um and the thing that like set this apart it's it's not like a murder novel like it's it's just a novel and there's a murder but it's not like a, a mystery or anything like that like you know the murder's gonna happen but it's still so intriguing and it's just like one of those books you don't want to put down but also I feel like it's a book that requires like a little bit of effort like it's not just like a casual read especially if you want to like pay attention and catch the small details and like the humor um it's definitely like not going to be a quick read because it's like 500 maybe even like 600 pages so it's not a quick read but it's like one of those ones that you don't want to put down um so yeah like not only was the plot just so interesting like the way it's written, the characters, just, like, everything, the dialogue, the diction, vocabulary, like, just beautiful and super creative, um, and, like, Donna Tart, oh, she just, like, killed the characters, they're perfect, um, like, extremely detailed, um, and then throughout the book, like, you just learn these little quirks about them, like, for example, Henry stays so wrapped up in, like, ancient Greek books that he didn't even know the moon landing happened. Like, not, it, it wasn't even that he, he, like, knew and didn't think it was real. Like, he was not aware that humans had gotten to the moon. And so, that like, someone, like, brought up the moon landing and he was like, what? Like, he did, like, he didn't know that humans got to the moon. Um, so, like, that was, like, it's just, like, a weird quirk. Like, things like that. Or, like, they constantly speak to each other in ancient Greek, especially, like, if they don't want other people to know what they're saying. Or how, like during Bunny's funeral, they were all, like, more preoccupied with, like, killing the wasp that was flying around them than the actual funeral. Just, like, really funny, interesting, quirky characters. Um, but they're also, like, really randomly passionate about, like, the most random things, um, but also sometimes it makes them, like, a little bit ridiculous and just, like, melodramatic. They're all just so ridiculously detailed that, like, it just blows my mind, and, like, not to mention Julian, like, you read the whole book, and I feel like I never still even completely figured out his character, because he's a little bit mysterious, but also just brilliant, and, like, he'll drop knowledge in their classes, like, it's just so enjoyable to read them all. So, the reason, though, I think The Secret History left such a mark on me is because it was another one of those books that helps me keep perspective, which might sound weird because it's, like, really not applicable to my life at all. But specifically, like, the aspect just of, like, school. Like, I've always really, really, really enjoyed school and just, like, learning in general. But sometimes, like, finals week, y'all, last year, like, I really had to go back and think about The Secret History and just, like, what a privilege it is to, like, learn and to be able to go to school, and just, like, to have knowledge, and, like, how cool it actually is to have knowledge, like, if nothing else, that's what this book, like, reminds me about. The one quote that replays so often in my mind from this book 
when I start to feel myself like drag a little bit in school or like get a little bit overwhelmed um, is when Richard was talking to Julian and he referred to his like school assignments as work. And Julian goes, do you really think what we do is work? And Richard goes, what else should I call it? And Julian goes, I should call it the most glorious kind of play. Like to me, and it's kind of always been this way, like school and learning is play and it's a privilege. And I think we like take it for granted a lot. And like something about this book just helps me like remember one, that it's a privilege and two, that it can also be like really, really fun. Um, and so I just really enjoy that. Like this is um, definitely one of my favorite fiction books. The story um, is just brilliant. Like Donna Tartt did an incredible job. She's genuinely like a mastermind and so like overall the book is just like enjoyable like I don't think it's necessarily for everyone but it was definitely for me just because I think like the plot and the characters are a little bit weird and I, it's like a little bit heavy considering like the murder and just the way they handle it and everything um so like probably not for everyone but definitely definitely it was for me um so Getting to the end of it, but clearly these books all touched me in, like, really, really different ways. I'd say they're all, like, really different books, and so um, they each, like, left a little bit of a different impact on me. But overall, they're books that I just, like, keep finding myself returning to for, like, one reason or another. Um, and, like, I've always said how much of a book girl I am, so I think every book girl, like, has these books in their life. Um... So, if any of these books sound good to you, definitely, like, highly recommend all of them. Um, so, yeah, I'm super glad I got this episode out. Um, one, just, like, breaking the wall. But two, I am going out of town for the next two weeks. So, like, that being said, I won't be making any content. I'm taking the next two weeks completely off, like, the places I'm going, the things I'm doing, I want to be really, really present at, and so, like, I'm gonna try my best really not even to think about the podcast, so next two weeks will be completely off, so when I get back from out of town and all my travels and my going places, we will be resuming, um, but, I mean, summer's already flying by, and, like, by that time, it'll almost be time for me to move back into school, so life is not graceful, but it's fun, and we're making it work, and the pod will always be here, and so I am giving myself grace just to allow myself to do life first, and then do the other things next, so that being said, the pod will continue when it continues, um, but yeah, just having lots of grace and holding everything kind of loosely right now, but thank you guys for tuning in and listening, um, I hope that you were able to maybe find a new book recommendation, if nothing else, but I'm glad I got to share about these fun little parts of my life, do a lighthearted episode, I hope it was lighthearted for y'all, um, that was definitely the goal. So, as always, thank you guys for tuning in, lots and lots and lots of love, and I will talk to you guys soon, bye!